this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. If you are in Christ, you woke up this morning with hope, no matter what's going on in your life. And that's something that I really need to remember every time I wake up, that I have a a reason to live with hope today. Not because things are going wonderful in my life, but because there's victory that's guaranteed for me through Christ. Amen? So there is joy in the life of a Christian, no matter the circumstances. So join me in the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at chapter 9, the first 14 verses of this chapter. Hebrews chapter 9. And um, we're going to see how Jesus provides a better sanctuary for us. Today we're going to see in our, in our worship notes, the title is that there's refuge in the war. There's a war that we're in, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we supported the war or not, the war is here, whether we want it or not. We live in a spiritual battle, a war that's happening all the time, and we need refuge, We need a safe space. We need a sanctuary. So we're going to look here in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. You can follow me, uh, follow with me in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest, the priests, plural, entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest, singular, entered the inner room, and that only once a year. And never, say never, never without blood, which was offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulation supplying? Oh, I have a misprint here. External regulations applying. It's funny how it says, it's, it's, okay. Mine says external regulation supplying, because the S scooted over to the wrong word. External regulations applying. Until the, until the time of the new order. 
But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the, go- of the blood of the goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will that cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we endeavor um, to understand your word as you have preserved it for us, protect this time and encourage our hearts and give us your truth. Magnify the name of Jesus and build up your church. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus provides for his people a refuge inside a war that is continuing today and will continue until Christ returns again to give us victory in full. He's our safety in the middle of the war. By safety, I don't mean that bad things don't happen when we're following Jesus, but what I am saying is that there is an eternal safety that is present that no matter what happens, our good gift from God can never be taken away. Our safety, our true safety, our eternal security will never be taken away by any enemy or threat that is out there. It is held secure in Jesus. And the sanctuary that he gives to us is is new. It's different than the old sanctuary. What we have today is better than what we see the people of the Old Testament had to go through. The process. So if you want to look in your worship folder, there's an outline with five points, and we're going to hit these quickly as to, to why the old sanctuary was inferior to the new sanctuary that Jesus gives. So the first thing we're going to see is the new, new sanctuary, number one, is not eternal. Number one, it is not eternal. In verse one of, of Hebrews, it said... The first covenant had regulations for worship, and there was an earthly sanctuary. There was a sanctuary that was, that was on earth, that was temporary, it served a temporary purpose, and it was never going to withstand the test of time. I shared last week was my first Sunday back after going to Italy, which was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for, for us to go do that, and we saw the Colosseum, which has been around for about 2,000 years, and it was, you could tell, it was about 2,000 years old. There was a lot of construction to, to redo things for it, Uh, but still, to be here after 2,000 years is amazing, but it's not withstanding the test of time forever. And so this new sanctuary that God has for us is is eternal, but the old one was temporary. It was limited to the nation of Israel. It wasn't something that was available for people outside of that. And Jesus, in the the first verse of chapter 13 in the book of Mark, uh, some of his followers were saying, Jesus, look at the temple over here. Look at these massive stones. Isn't it beautiful? We do that with churches here, right? We go see St. Patrick's on Fifth Avenue. We're like, look at this. This is beautiful. This is amazing. Look what 
people have done. And Jesus said to them about the temple, he says, not one stone is going to remain on this. Not one stone is going to remain here. It's all going to come crumbling down. It's temporary. It's not eternal. The second thing about the old sanctuary is this. The second thing about the old sanctuary is that it, it points to something greater. So number two, the old system was never designed to be the complete system. It was always designed to point to something greater that was to come. And that something greater was someone greater named Jesus. But it pointed to something greater. There was the lampstand. It, it mentioned in verse 2 uh, through 5, it mentioned the lampstand. The lampstand was, I don't mean to be you know, relevant, but it was always lit. Okay? That was really relevant. All right? A few of you got it. A few of you want me to move forward. That's fine. But it was, it was always lit. There was, a, there was a flame that was always there that, that was being lightened, lightened, lit, to show the, the, the power of God. And so in, in, in Isaiah chapter 42, it talked about that, that there was going to be the servant who was going to be the light to the Gentiles, the light to the nations. And then Jesus in John 8, 12 is called the light of the world, the light of the nations, the light of the Gentiles, the, the entire world, Israel and non-Jew. And so Jesus is the light. He's greater than the lampstand. There's the table of presence, which is the, the bread, and it's the, the sustaining power of God. This bread had to be there in the presence of God. And, and Jesus in John chapter 6 is referred to as the bread of life, that he's the one who's sustaining. So he's the better bread. And then there's the altar of incense, which is inside where it was limited access, and, and this incense would smoke, and it would signify and represent the prayers of the people that were going up. The prayers of the priest for the people, inter- intercessory prayer. And so Jesus goes behind the veil and he rips it. And now Jesus is interceding for us. He's greater. As great as the Old Testament was and as great as it, it, it served its purpose for the time, Jesus came in and did something greater for us. Isn't it? Think, Jesus is praying for you right now. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us at a much greater value and efficiency than any priest could ever do. Past, present, or future. He is the great high priest. The old sanctuary was not eternal. It was always pointing to something greater. The third thing is it had limited access. Limited access. In verses 6 and 7, it, it talked about that, that when everything had arranged, arranged like this, then priests could go into the first room, but only the high priest could go into the second room. It was limited. But through Jesus, we saw in the book of Acts, I read that earlier in the service, in the book of Acts, God has given full access to every believer. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer. It's not limited. It's not like only Pastor Daniel can get that full access to the Lord. It's not like that. There's no hierarchy. God says every believer has full access to the sanctuary of God, the inner room. Limited access. The fourth one is this. The old sanctuary had limited efficiency. Limited efficiency. They had an imperfect priest who had to offer sins, offerings for himself, for his own sins, but he also had to offer sacrifices for the sins of ignorance for the, of the people. 
And so it was, it was limited in its efficiency. In, uh, in verse 7, it said, uh, but only the high priest... Yeah, there, I just told you what it was. I don't have to read it again. That's what it was. It was this limited efficiency. And so um, it didn't cover all the sins that it needed to. I mean, it, it did in limited time. It wasn't efficient. It had to be done over and over. But what Jesus did for us was efficient for all. He cleanses all sin. We'll talk more about that in a, in a little bit. So that was the fourth thing. It was a limited efficiency. And the fifth thing, we're moving fast, right? Don't get too excited because there's more on the other side. But number five is this, ready? Number five is it emphasized external ordinances. It emphasized, emphasized things that we do in order to receive forgiveness. Not that those things are bad, but it emphasized them. Now, because of Jesus, we don't have to emphasize the things that we do in order to have our sins paid for. What do we emphasize? What Jesus has done for us. That's the difference. We don't emphasize the fact that we've gone out and sacrificed our best calf, our best lamb, or whatever it is, but we emphasize that God has given us his best lamb, the Son of God. We emphasize what he has done for us. We understand that this external practice can't bring peace. And even in Hebrews, it talks about that. It said that this is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able, were not able, they were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They weren't able to do it. But Jesus did a better job and now our consciences can be clear. We can sit here knowing that we screwed up this week and we screwed up last week and we've done things and we're struggling people. We can be secure of knowing that our consciences are clear because of what God has done for us by accepting His sacrifice for our life. Jesus doesn't want us to go out and do external things in order to prove our love for him. What he wants to do and the way he works is he changes us on the inside. He changes our heart. He transforms who we are. And now we're able to go and do things, not in order to please God, but because we are pleased. We are actually pleasing to God because of what Christ has done for us. He changes us on the inside. So his sanctuary, his refuge in war is superior because it's not made by human hands. I love architecture. I didn't, I didn't say that right. Architecture. Archi- I love buildings and churches. And it's phenomenal to see what our hands have created. But it's also good for us to remember that that's something that we've created. As beautiful as it is, It's still what we've done. What Jesus has done is created something not by human hands, but with his. It says, but when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not the ones made by human hands, because it was not part of this creation. He went through something greater. The second thing, or another reason it's better, it's superior, is because it is this perfect and eternal sacrifice. In verse 12 it says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by whose blood? His own blood. Obtaining eternal redemption. 
eternal. It's a different kind of blood, a different sacrifice, so we don't have to do this anymore. So in in the the Garden of Eden, we see the first sacrifice. Uh, Adam and Eve are, are told, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they do what we all would have done. They look at it and like, I don't know, it looks pretty good. I think God's holding back on me. Let's try it. Okay, so they have it. We see the first sacrifice because they had sinned and they, the promise was that, that death was going to come as a result of that sin. And so there was an animal that was killed. And those animal skins were put on Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame because their eyes were opened to uh, just a, a newness of life and uh, or, or an awareness that God really wasn't planning for them to have. And it covered them. And so... Too often times we try to do the same thing, is that we mess up and we try to just to cover our sins with something. We try to cover them with good works. Well, if I lost my temper this week and I, you know, yelled at someone I shouldn't have yelled, I'm not really going to ask forgiveness, but I'm just going to be nice to them this week and make up for it. Or if I cheated on a test... I'm going to study really hard and not ever do that again. I'm going to make up for it and prove that, that I did it. We're just going to try to cover our sins with something that's good. And there's a difference between being, having your sins covered and hiding them and having them cleansed and changed or, or forgiven and be taken away, to be cleansed from them. And that's what Jesus does. He doesn't just cover them with skins, but he, he cleanses us from the inside and gives us a new life, new redemption. He removes the sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And when that sin is removed from our lives, it gives us the ability to worship him. That's when we can truly worship God because we don't have anything inhibiting our relationship with him. We are completely cleansed. In verse 13, I'll go through this again. It says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean outwardly clean but how much more will the blood of Jesus who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God how much will it cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God that's important at the end too he cleanses us not so that we can just sit back and hit easy street but so that we can serve the living God and we can use our lives to do external things with internal motives of love and not internal motives of trying to justify ourselves before God. If you feel guilty here today and you feel unworthy to read the Bible, or unworthy to pray, or unworthy to ask God for anything, or unworthy to be at church, or unworthy to, to preach up here, then what you need to do is immerse yourself in the gospel. The gospel that says, because of what Jesus has done, you have been made clean. Because of what he has done, you have been made perfect. You have been made holy, that you are chosen. And through that understanding, through that worship, you can now serve the living God. So I was getting ready for this um, sermon, which is good. You should always get ready for sermons. And Psalm 73 came across. And I'm going to read the whole thing for us. It'll pop up on the screen. But this is a a psalm that you can see the war that's going on with the psalmist, the one who wrote it. And it's 
It's a war I think we can all identify with at some point. If you haven't identified with it already, maybe you're just probably not old enough to do that. But I think if you're, I don't know what age that is, but anyway, I'm just going to stop talking. I'm going to read it because I think it, it pertains, okay? Pertains. I like that word. Here we go. Psalm 73. This is a psalm of Asaph. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, mm, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. And here's why. For I envied the arrogant. I envied them when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy. Their bodies are strong. They are free from common human burdens. Their life is easy. They're not plagued by human ills. They don't even know what it's like to be like me. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff. They speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does, does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my pure heart. You hear what he's saying there? He's like, man, what the heck am I doing? I've been good. I've been keeping a pure heart. I've been faithful. It's not worth it. Look at them. They're living la vida loca. Ricky Martin, for those of you who don't know that one. They're living the crazy life. They got it all good. They don't have any cares, no worries. All this sacrifice I did is for nothing. Anybody felt like I, I shouldn't have been a good kid? Just a few of you? Okay, good. I struggled with it, which led to some rebellion I wish I hadn't done. But here he is struggling with it. In vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. So much, th- or so much for that. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Parents, with me? Okay. <laughs> if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Another translation said I, it oppressed, this oppression was over me. Until, what? I entered the sanctuary of God. You know, in a way, this, what we're doing right now is functioning as a, as a sanctuary of God for us. That we come here refuge for us. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to, to be together with people who have those struggles and like, man, 
I'm envying the world. There, there's things that are happening out there. There's, there's people that I, I'm, I'm jealous of. Their life is easier than mine. I'm struggling. I feel like every morning I just wake up and get punched in the face with, with life. I, I, it just struggles. And so this is an opportunity for us to come together and be encouraged to say, listen, now you're in the sanctuary of God. Yes, there's a war going on out there, but there's refuge for you. And it's not just here, but this is what we need at least on a weekly basis, to come together as one and remind ourselves that we are not alone in this war. Not only do we have one another, but we have Jesus. It says, then I entered the sanctuary of God, and it was then that I understood the ones he's envying. I understood their final destiny. And their final destiny is, surely, God, you place them on slippery ground, and you're going to cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. It's like it didn't happen. And when my heart was grieved, so he's talking about that previous verses where I see that what I'm envying isn't really enviable. I shouldn't want those things because one day the dream's going to be over and we're going to realize that it didn't matter. The things that I were desiring from the world and and jealous of other people were things that shouldn't have taken any of my time because they're gone. And now he shifts over to himself. He's like, when my heart was grieved, when I was just grieving, and then when my spirit was embittered, and that means resentful. Anybody ever felt resentful? You don't have to raise your hand because, okay, you can. You can raise your hand. Anybody ever felt resentful? I think, yeah. I was senseless and ignorant. Anybody felt ignorant? (laughs) I was a brute beast before you. He's talking to God. So he's he's confessing, God, I I was terrible to you. Yet, despite all those things, I am always with you. Why? Because it's God. It says, you are holding me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you take me into glory. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth, earth has nothing I desire besides you. I was praying over this today. The earth has nothing I desire besides you. And I was thinking, that's not true. There's a lot of stuff around here I desire, Lord. There's things in the earth. You just, you know, I see houses that are better than mine. I'm like, I like that. I desire it, you know. I see people that, well, potentially, I guess they have more money than I do. They have nicer houses. I'm assuming they do. I would like to have more money. And so I started praying over this, and I was like, Lord, I don't know if I can really just get up and say that right now. And so my prayer was, Lord, will you make that true for me? Will you make this true in my life? Will you make this earth has nothing I desire beside you, something that I can pray and actually mean? And as I was praying that, the first part of this verse says, whom have I in heaven but you? I was praying over that and I was like, 
Make that be true because the bottom one true because the top one is true. I know that's true. I don't have anybody but God. I have a faithful wife and four beautiful children. But I don't really have them. But there's, there's nothing about them that I am guaranteed eternal, eternal, eternity with. And not because of their choices even, but just because of, of life. I am not guaranteed tomorrow in my marriage or with my children. But you know what I am guaranteed? Jesus. My God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I have him because he has me. And because of that, oh God, make it to where I desire nothing besides you on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. Those who are far from you, God, they will perish. Eventually the dream will become something that they awake from and it's over. And Lord, you destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, Lord, it is good to be near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my what? My refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So, at the end, he says, Lord, I've made you the sovereign Lord. You are my refuge in the war. And because of what you've done, holding me, I just, there's this picture of just an obstinate, rebellious child. Just imagine a two or three-year-old. Pick any of them. <laughs> Some of them are better than the others, I guess. But anyway, but a two, two or three-year-old, and they're walking along with the parent, and the parent's holding their hand and guiding them along, and they're just fighting everything the parent's wanting to do. I want to do this. I want to do that. But the father or the mother, they still hold on to the child, and they guide them, and they love them, and they protect them. And hopefully, as the child grows up, they realize, you've been a good father, you've been a good mother, and your counsel has been good for me, and your wisdom, and oh, I was obstinate and rebellious, but your right hand, you held me. And whether you had a good relationship and a good father and mother to, to raise you or not, we do have this in Jesus. We do have this in our Heavenly Father who will walk with us through everything. Even though we're arrogant and senseless and ignorant and obstinate and rebellious and we think we just know everything, God is going to hold us and walk with us. But there has to be something in our life to where we say, Lord, I have made you the sovereign Lord. I have acknowledged you as my refuge. Have you acknowledged Jesus as your refuge? Yeah, I did that a long time ago. I was even baptized, and I follow him, kind of. Has he been your refuge this morning? When you woke up this morning, did you run to your sovereign Lord and praise him and worship him and pray with him? Jesus is our refuge in this war. Life is hard for everyone. And it may look like some people are just having a better life than us. I'll tell you what, Uber driving has been 
an eye-opener for me. Because sometimes I pick up people that look like they have it all together. But some of the conversations I hear in the cab quickly tell a different story. That they don't have it all together. There's arguments. There's drama. It may look like people have a better life than you. But if you have Jesus, you have everything, everything in this world that is truly desirable. Do you hear that? Nothing is truly desirable, more desirable than Jesus. He is our refuge in war. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are uh, a refuge in our war. Thank you that you are the one who brings us comfort, brings us safety, brings us the escape from the danger that we're constantly bombarded with. I pray, Lord, that as we um, are looking to the world around us, that we would not fall to the temptation to, to desire the things of the world at the expense of our desire for you. I pray that that prayer would be true for all of us, that we would look in, at that scripture and say, there's, there's nothing on earth I desire except you. Make that true in our lives. Cause us to be your people. Empower us to worship you. Give us a, an overwhelming awe, a sense of, of how great you truly are, that you have acted on our behalf and caused sinners like us to become chosen, forgiven, holy children of God with full privileges of being your children. We bless your name. Amen.